If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it, and we're going to be back in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 11, and we're going to focus in on the first four verses of Luke chapter 11. I went to the chiropractor this week. <laughs> it wasn't bad. Andrew and I go about once a month. We start this. Whatever you think about chiropractic care, I'm not here to argue one way or the other. You know, I know there's some people that don't believe in it at all and others that swear by it. That's, that's not the, the point. But the, the basic idea behind chiropractic care is that you need to realign your spine with the goal of, of good overall health. So because of the way we, we sit or the way you work or the way you twist and move, we have a tendency to kind of throw our spine out of whack <laughs> and out of alignment. And because the spine is so crucial, we've got all these nerves that are running up and down it, and those nerves then branch out to the rest of our body. If our spine is not in line, then it messes up a lot of other stuff. And so it's important to have a healthy spine. So chiropractic care is meant to realign your spine. And, and if a properly aligned spine is important to good physical health, then a properly aligned heart is key to spiritual health. Now, I'm not talking about, like, your heart that, that pumps your blood. You know, there's no chiropractic care. There's no one that straightens your physical heart, right? But, but the heart is... is is the central point from which flows all of our, our desires and, and our loves. Our hearts are the, the seats of our uh, of our, our emotions. It's what drives what we what we do and what we say. Proverbs four tells us that it's out of the heart that flow all the the issues of life. And Jesus says that it's out of the abundance of our heart that our mouth speaks. So the heart is 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 this place where everything flows from in our lives. And so having a heart that's aligned with the heart of the Father is a key to walking in a way that pleases Him. And here in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, Jesus is going to teach His disciples and us about prayer. And we find that, that prayer is like a visit to the chiropractor. The idea here being that prayer realigns our hearts to reflect the heart of our Father. That's kind of the big idea, I think, of what the, the point here of the Lord's Prayer is that, that prayer realigns our hearts with the heart of our Heavenly Father. Because our, our hearts can get a lot more twisted than our spines can even. And it, it happens every day. It happens in a million little ways. Sometimes it's a, it's a passing thought. Maybe it's a bit of sarcasm that's either directed to us or maybe that we direct towards someone else. It could be the, the click of a mouse. It could be the step in... A step in the wrong direction. It could be a responsibility that you neglect. It could be that you hit the snooze button one too many times. It, uh, it could be the stress of a certain situation. But all these different things kind of throw our heart out of alignment. And we, we just get mixed up in the world. We forget what's really important. And so here in, in Luke 11, 1 through 4, we find the Lord's Prayer takes into account all of those major twists and turns that we face on a daily basis. And, and it seeks, the Lord's Prayer seeks to realign our hearts with the heart of our Heavenly Father. So this morning I invite you into the Lord's chiropractic heart office, whatever you want to call it. Um, I invite you to lay down, not literally, but you know, just 
in, in your mind think that we're, we're going in and we're going to get readjusted. We're going to realign our hearts with the heart of the Father. So look at me with look with me at Luke 11 verses 1 through 4. This is a larger section that goes all the way to verse 13, where Jesus is speaking about prayer. But we'll have enough to chew on here in verses 1 through 4. We'll get to 5 to 13 next week. But just so you know that it's in this larger context about prayer. But look with me in Luke 11, starting in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Those verses are probably familiar to you. They they maybe look a little different than than one that you have heard. There's a parallel account in Matthew 6. And Luke has a little bit simpler version here. But but this is what we know as the Lord's Prayer. You know, if you're with someone long enough, you start to to notice habits and and patterns in their life. If you've been married to someone, you notice those things. And um, some of them may be strange or mildly annoying. But then there's some that I was was not. I really did not mean that in any way about my wife. Um, Just people in general is what I was saying. So there's this... um, it threw me off there, Kelly. That was good. <laughs> I need your foot out of your mouth. Bro. But but there there are other things about people. This is what I, this is directed towards my wife. There's other things about people that you want to emulate. Okay. That you see the patterns in their life and you want to be like them in those things. Amen. And the disciples have been with Jesus for probably two, maybe even three years at this point, and they've begun to to notice something about Jesus. And if we've been paying attention in the book of Luke, then we have noticed this about Jesus as well. We notice it first. It shows up first in chapter 5, verse 16, amidst all the, the pressures of the crowd wanting to hear Jesus talk and wanting to have Jesus heal them. Luke tells us that Jesus, he says, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. In the midst of the, the pressures of ministry, Jesus made private, focused prayer uh, priority. And then not much later, that was in 5.16, then in chapter 6, verse 12, just before he calls the the 12 out to to be with him, it says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. So in the midst of of a major decision, Jesus was committed to fervent prayer. We saw this in in chapter 9, verse 28, just after this great call to what true discipleship is, and then just before he's transfigured, before Peter and James and John, Scripture tells us this. It says, Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. It's this pattern, and we said said of that verse that, that prayer invites the presence and the power of God, and that in the life and ministry of Jesus, everything that he does is preceded, by prayer, and proceeds from prayer. So everything is preceded by prayer comes first, and then all the power that Jesus has proceeds from that prayer, from his reliance on the Father. And so it's not surprising here that it says in 11.1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. 
I think if Luke just told us all the times that Jesus was praying, that's pretty much all we know about the book of because he was constantly in prayer. This was the pattern of his life. It's sad to say that many of us who profess to be followers of, of Jesus, that this isn't the pattern of our life, is it? I don't say that to, to put a guilt trip on you, just kind of a reality check, but check. But we, you know, we call ourselves disciples of Jesus. And one of the things that marked Jesus' life was constant, fervent prayer. That's who he was. The disciples hung out with him every day. And one of the things that they saw constantly in his life was prayer. It's always popping up. And if you feel prayerless, so if I say that, you know, you call yourself a disciple of Jesus and you don't pray, and I, I'm, I'm right there with you. If, if you feel that, then recognize that I think, I think the disciples felt this too. The, the twelve are, are there and Jesus is, is praying, and we're going to see later on in Luke that, that when Jesus is praying, what are the disciples often doing? They're sleeping, <laughs> and we've all been there. I'll raise my hand on that one. Um, but but the, the disciples, they felt the prayerlessness of their own lives. And so it says here, when, when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, Lord would you tell us how to pray? It's interesting to to think about Jesus finishing this this prayer. I was listening to one guy, and he said that, that we can probably infer that Jesus prayed out loud a lot, that, that he spoke his prayers. Because we have recorded prayers, especially in the, the later parts of John, but even the fact that they knew he had finished praying, there's this sense in which he was praying out loud, and they could they could hear him. They could listen to what he was saying, and as they heard him pray, they said, we need to, we need to learn how to, 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 to pray. We don't pray like that. You know, Jesus usually sets the agenda for what he's going to teach in the Gospels, but the disciples, are, they've been waiting. They're just waiting for Jesus to teach us something about, about prayer. And this disciple finally says, Lord, would you please just teach us about prayer? You haven't done that yet. We, we want to know how to pray. I mean, what is there to learn, right? What's there to learn about prayer? It's, it's talking to God. That's, anyone can pray to a certain extent. If you can speak, you're communicating with God, so there's a sense in which everyone can pray. But there's also a sense that, that there's always something that, that we must learn about prayer. Now, again, it's, it's not a skill that we're trying to master. Okay? It's not like learning to play the violin or, or something like that. It, there, it's not a skill to master, but it's, it's more a mindset that we want to conform to. We want to know what's the mindset that God has for us to conform to. If, if prayer is supposed to realign our hearts, then we need to know how our hearts need to be realigned. Otherwise, we're just going to make them more twisted. So we want to know, we need that standard of, of what to realign our, our hearts to. And that's why Jesus gives us these sort of steps and this, these steps that we're to go through. And, and, and maybe it'll be rigid for a while, but we're slowly realigning our hearts. We're figuring out how to pray, and then suddenly it becomes sort of natural to us. It's kind of like learning a new language. Uh, I've heard it said that if you're learning a new language, you, you know that you have begun to really grasp that language when you have a dream in that language. Uh, I talked to my friend Nate, and he said he remembered having that experience when he was learning Swahili. And he woke up that next morning just elated because he's, I'm finally learning the language. I, I dreamt in a different language. Because at, at that point, you know it's not that you're just simply following some vocabulary or some, some grammar rules, but it's sinking down deep into your heart. And I think that's the case with, with prayer. You know, we need to learn the vocabulary of prayer. We need to look at the Lord's Prayer and, and get some of these things down. And we need to, to work on that. But there'll be moments, there'll be kind of that moment when, when all of a sudden, okay, I think I'm, 
I think it's finally getting down there. I'm really praying according to the heart of my Father. And so what we, what we find here, though, is that, um, that this is a, a pattern then. So these words in verses 2 through 3, Jesus says, When you pray, say. So Jesus is, is, is giving us a, a pattern. Here's the thing that you need to follow. I want you to follow this, this pattern. Um, not long ago, Trevor preached on this, on the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Um, and he said, uh, he sent me his notes this week because I couldn't find the, the audio part, but he sent me his notes. And in the parallel passage in Matthew 6, it says, when you pray, pray in this way. Uh, in his notes, he said this, the, that these words have the idea of a model. So the phrase has the sense of along these lines or in the following manner. So Jesus is giving us a pattern to follow, but not a prayer to repeat mindlessly. And then Trevor said this, and I agree with him. I'm not saying that we should never repeat the Lord's Prayer word for word, but I'm saying we should never repeat it mindlessly. We need to use it as a pattern without falling into the pit of meaningless repetition. I think that's really helpful. So Jesus is going to give us this pattern. This is the pattern for how we need to to pray. But there's something unique here, too, that about why the disciples, this desire for them to, to learn to pray from Jesus. There's this recognition of the disciples that, that Jesus' approach to God is different than anything else that they have ever heard. Then all the Old Testament prayers that they heard, or the, the way that the rabbis of their day taught, that this is, it's just, it's really different what Jesus is doing. So they're asking for a prayer that matches this new community of Jesus, this, this new gathering that, that is, is forming around Jesus and the revelation that he's giving of who God is. So, so the Lord's Prayer is a pattern to follow, but the Lord's Prayer is also the, the prayer of the new community of Jesus. It's this, this new community of Jesus is asking for a, a prayer. And I, I want to read to you from a commentary by a guy named Daryl Bach, and he, he says this, okay? As we look at the setting for the Lord's Prayer, a very important point emerges. The prayer is really poorly named. So, Daryl Bach is saying what we've called the Lord's Prayer for so long is that's poorly named. It's poorly named, at least in the Lucan setting. Here the prayer is the direct result of a request from the disciples to be given a community prayer such as John the Baptist's community has. Such community prayers were not unusual. The Jews had the 18 benedictions and the disciples' remarks make it clear that John also had a community prayer. This makes the Lord's Prayer really the disciples' prayer. It was given to exemplify the attitude of dependence that Jesus' disciples should have. The disciples' request also reflects the independent identity they were developing as they followed Jesus. The more they followed Jesus, the more they realized that he was forming a new community, a distinct expression of Jewish hope. So they wanted to know how to pray to mark their distinctiveness. So two things that, that he says there is this idea that there were these community prayers. And like John obviously had taught his disciples, there were these prayers that, that these groups prayed. But they, they're saying, but Jesus is so different that we need a community prayer because it's it's the what jesus is teaching us is so different than what everyone else is 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 saying um so the, the disciples see the centrality of the prayer life of jesus but they also see the the uniqueness of his prayer life because with with jesus everything is the same but everything is totally different you know that jesus affirms the law he, and we we're we are to love the law but he also fulfills the law and when he teaches on the law, what does he say? On the Sermon on the Mount, he says, You've heard it said in the law, such and such, but I say to you something totally different. 
He affirms it, but he transforms it. He, he does that like we'll see this morning when we take the Lord's Supper. He does that with the Passover meal. So the Passover meal has this significance, and then Jesus comes and says, yeah, it means that, but let me tell you what it really means. It's really all about me. And he transforms it. And he does the same thing with prayer. Surely he would affirm the, the Old Testament prayers in the Psalms and in the, the prophets, but he's also transforming prayer into something completely different because the coming of Jesus changes everything, including prayer itself. And so the prayer he gives then is this is, is simple, but it's 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 revolutionary. It's the ABCs and the one, two, threes of prayer, but it's also kind of doctoral level prayer. Uh, and so we, we need to think about it. It's something that we can continually grow in. This morning I want to think just to help us sort of, uh, you know, really see the structure. Let's think about it as the one, two, threes of prayer, okay? So this is the one, two, threes of prayer. Here's what we find. We find one address of relationship, two statements of submission, and three declarations of dependence. All right, so just... We'll go with the one, two, threes of prayer. One, address of relationship, two statements of submission, and three declarations of dependence. And all of these are meant to realign our hearts with the heart of our Father. We want to have a heart like our Father. The Father, that's, that's the first part there, isn't it? That's that address of relationship. When you pray, say, Father. Now, if you're like me, you take it for granted that when you pray, that's how you begin. You say, Father. But but think about what we're saying. The, the God of the universe who is holding everything together, who has made everything and sustains everything, and who has made me and sustains me, I'm, I'm coming to him and I'm saying, Father. There's a, a uniqueness to what we are doing. And the imagery of, of Father is not absent from the Old Testament, but it's, it's pretty sparse. And so when Jesus explodes onto the scene and he starts saying, God is my Father, it, it blows everyone's mind. And he does it right from the very beginning. The first thing that Jesus says in the book of Luke, you remember this scene, right? He's lost. His parents can't find him, and they find him in the temple. And they say, where have you been, Jesus? And what does he say? He says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I needed to be about my father's business? Right from the very beginning, at 12 years old, he says, I'm a, my core identity is found in the fact that God is my father. That's, that's the core of, of who he is. And this is what drove the Pharisees crazy. It was a large part of the reason that they crucified him, because he's making himself equal with God by calling him, by, by referring to God as his, as his Father. And so what's amazing here is the disciples say, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And he says, when you pray, here's what I want you to start with. I want you to say, Father. Now imagine that for, for these men who were Jewish men who, who wouldn't even speak the name of God out loud. And now Jesus is saying, when you talk to God, I want you to call him your father. Whenever I think about the fatherhood of God, I can't help but read this quote from J.I. Packer. If you've been with us at all, you've heard me read it, but I have to read it again. He says this, you sum up the whole of New Testament teaching in a single phrase. If you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. He says that's the whole sum of the New Testament, a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In the same way you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's father. I remember reading this very clear, this next line. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child, of having God as his father. 
If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. I, I, I totally agree with him that, 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 that the fatherhood of God is central to what the New Testament is telling us about who God is. So how do you approach God? Do you approach Him as a loving and gracious Father? For some people, Father is not really like a really comforting term. When you think about Father, you don't have a great image of Father. Maybe you just have a non-existent image of Father because your Father has been absent from your life. But whatever you think about Father, there's some sense in, in which we have an image of what we want our Father to be. Whether it's through a bad example of a Father or a good example of a father, or or a combination of the two, we have in our minds, I wish my father would have been like this. I wish my dad was like this. And as we get that image in our mind, there's a large sense in which we can say, that is who God is as our father. He's he's the father we long for. He's the father that that wants us to come to him, that that desires to spend time with us. All all the ways that maybe your father has failed you or is failing you, and, and I'm a father and I fail every day. I know that. I want to reflect the heart of my father, but I know that I can't fully. But I want my my kids to understand that God is a father, a greater father than I could ever be. And so whatever your image of father is, God is the is, is the perfect heavenly father. If you have a poor image of your father, take that and just reverse it. That's who God is for you. Whatever you long for your father to be, that's who God is for us. But remember this. We've got to be real clear on this. That this is a prayer for followers of Jesus. And God is only that kind of father to those who have faith in Christ. There is a sense in which God is the father of all creation. And he's the father of everyone because he's, he's made everyone. But, but there is another sense in which Jesus is teaching this prayer to his disciples, to his followers. And he says, you are allowed to call God father because I'm giving you permission to do it. I'm saying that you can call God Father because you are part of me. So the coming of Jesus is what opens this up. It's the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus that make this new relationship with the Father possible. But apart from Jesus, God is not our Father. God is our enemy. God is against us because of our sin. God is opposed to us. Yes, He's our Father in the sense that He has made us, but but His heart is not towards us because we have rebelled against Him. And that's why the the good news, at the core of the good news, is, is adoption. That people, we are invited through faith in Jesus to know God as Father through Christ. That if we would confess our sins and our inability to be made right with God on our own merit, if we would confess the fact that that we are estranged from God, that we are His enemies in our sin, and we would trust in the work of Christ, then we become sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ. This is what Paul says in Galatians 4. He talks about who we were formerly as slaves and not sons of God, as enemies and not sons and daughters of God. And then he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, 
born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. John tells us in John 1.12 that to all who received Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And if you are in Christ, God is your Father. That's the core of how we are to approach Him. We're going to see more about this next week, really, about what, how that changes our approach to God. But just think about this truth, that you are invited to come to God and to speak to Him as Father. And, and that truth should reorient our hearts that, that we have a Father. We have a Father in Heaven. So, so when you feel alone and when you feel rejected, when you, when you think that no one cares a bit for you, when you feel like you are by yourself or you feel like everyone's out to harm you or maybe God Himself is out to harm you, remember that He's your Father. When, when your image of God gets, gets distorted... He's not a loving father anymore to you. He just becomes something else. And prayer becomes something else. And you approach him in the wrong way. But we think of God as a vending machine, right? So if I just put the right things in, then he'll give me what I want. Or God's a nasty neighbor who shoots all trespassers. Or, or God's a scolding teacher who, who points at us and points out all our mistakes. Or we think about prayer in a messed up way and we make God into some sort of lottery ticket where if we just say the right things, pick the right numbers, and we'll get everything that we ever long for. It's not who God is. You know what He is? He's your Father. And that's how we come to Him. So when you come to God in prayer, realign your heart, however you're thinking about God in that moment, Realign your heart to say, okay, I'm coming to God and He is my Father. That will change how we pray. So, so first there's this, the one, two, three. Is the one is the, there's one uh, address of relationship, Father. Then there's two statements of submission. Hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. One of the ways that I think in life a heart gets thrown out of alignment and gets messed up is that we begin to think that our glory and our priorities are more important than God. <laughs> we think that, that we are king. We think that, that we are most important. We get focused on our mundane and selfish endeavors and our priorities, and we, we forget what matters most. And so these, these statements of submission are meant to realign our hearts around what, what really matters, what's most important is the name of God and the kingdom of God. I, I don't pray like this very often to, to say, okay, God, what's most important? I, I'm, I'm so concerned about all this, all these other things. I want to pray about these things. But, but first, let me realign my heart to say, okay, God, I want your name to be hallowed. I want your name to be revered. I want your name to be seen as great and holy in this world and in my life and in my church and in my community. That's, that's the most important thing to me right now, God. I have all these other concerns, but what's most important, God, hallowed be your name. Would you be lifted up? Even if I don't get all these things that I want, God, would you be seen as great, seen as, as who you are? Would your name be be hallowed because the name of God is represents the person of God and we want God to be seen as great in the world that's that's the heart of a disciple of Jesus and one who is a son or a daughter of God is to say whatever else happens I want God to be seen as great it's the glory of God 
And then, and then it's the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. When you think about a kingdom, I think we can think about it in two different ways. The kingdom of God means the destruction of the enemies of God and the establishment of the throne of God and the rule of God in this world. So when we pray, God, we want your kingdom to come, we're saying, God, we want you to destroy all the enemies that you have in this world. We want you to destroy sin and Satan and death. We want you to get rid of these things so that your kingdom would reign on this earth. And we want, we want the gospel to be lifted up, to be G, to G, for Jesus to be on the throne, for people to bow their knee to him and submit to who he is, that God's kingdom would reign on this earth. And there's a sense in which that happens now and it's happening in, in the future. There's a sense in which we, we are praying that for the powers of darkness to be defeated in our community, in our world, in our church, and in our very lives. God, kill all the enemies that you have. Destroy them. And there's a sense in which we can think about that that one day will come in fulfillment, that when Jesus returns, every enemy will be defeated. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It hasn't happened yet, but it is happening. The kingdom of God is here and it is coming. And there's this sense also when, that God's kingdom is being established as, as people bow their knee in, in confession of sin and belief in Christ and they see salvation and become children of God, that God's kingdom is, is spreading, it's, it's building. And there is a day when, that will come when, when it will be fully established and all those that have been ransomed by God will be gathered in to His heavenly kingdom. But we pray, God, that's what we want right now. Do, do, you, do you pray this way? Do you pray these kind of huge prayers? God, I want Your name to be glorified and I want Your, your kingdom to come now and I want it to come in the future. Those are awesome prayers. I mean, think that, that you can pray that and God is listening to you. That God is saying, yes, I'm going to lift my name up. I'm going to be glorified in your life and in your church and in your community. And I'm going to establish my kingdom. That that's, and, and what it does is it reorients our hearts. We say, okay, this is what's most important. This is what I really need. You know, I'm not talking about everything that prayer is. There, there are requests that we offer that God hears. But, but right now, prayer so much changes us. It does, in, in, a, in a unique way, change God, and I say that knowing that there's theological implications to that, but God hears and He, and he, he responds to us. But per ultimately, what, what it really does deep down in my heart is it, it changes me. I say, God, I, I've just gotten so caught up in my own glory. I got so caught up in my own name and my own agenda. And so, Lord, would your name be lifted up and, and your kingdom? That's what I really want. I submit to that. Those are the two statements of submission. And then finally, there's three declarations of dependence. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins and lead us not into temptation. Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life, wrote this. We have an allergic reaction to dependency. (laughs) We have an allergic reaction to dependency, but that is the state of the heart most necessary for a praying life. A needy heart is a praying heart. Dependency is the heartbeat of prayer. I think I heard Paul Miller say, if we could bottle dependency, then I would be a praying person all the time. If we could bottle dependency, to realize that we are dependent upon God for everything. So Jesus gives us these three prayers, these three cries of dependency, so that we can remember just how needy we are. Because when we neglect to seek God, we say to Him, Lord, we don't need You. We're going to be fine on our own. 
and we think that way. And so what Jesus is saying in this prayer is you come to me and you say in your heart, we're okay. But what I want you to realize is you're not okay without me. If I'm not there, then you are in trouble. So the first one is we say, God, we're dependent upon you for every need. Every need. The issue just isn't just bread, okay? We're not just praying for a loaf of bread. The, the issue is that we are dependent upon God for in every moment, for every basic need, not just bread, but our breath itself. That every physical need that we have, every, every immediate need that we have, we are dependent upon God for that. He emphasizes that. Give us each day our daily bread. Daily give us our daily bread. It's, it's in this, this moment, God, I need you right now. I need you to survive today. Physically, if you don't provide for me, I am in trouble. We begin to think so often that we have food in the pantry, we have money in our pocket, and so we're good. And we depend on those things more than we depend on God. But God is the provider of everything that we need. Of course, maybe your pantry is empty and your pocket's empty. God is your provider. God is the one that will give you what you need. He, whatever the state of our cupboards in, in prayer, we are dependent upon God. So this is a cry of dependency for every physical need that we have. And then we say, God, we're dependent upon you for forgiveness. We're dependent upon you for our deepest spiritual need. We move from physical needs to, to spiritual needs, and we have a daily need of forgiveness because we sin every day and we can't do anything about it think about the hymn that says dark is the stain that we cannot hide what can avail what's going to work to wash it away nothing except for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin we can only have forgiveness because we depend on Christ for that forgiveness and what's unique here is it says for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us in some strange way it would seem that that our forgiveness is dependent upon our forgiving of others that forgiveness is so much a part of the core of who we are that if we are an unforgiving person then then god is not going to forgive us not because he's not willing to or not able to but maybe because forgiveness is such a core part of who a christian is that if we're not forgiving then and he's not going to forgive us because we're not Christians. <laughs> now, now here's, and here's what's cool too is this reorients our hearts. If I'm saying, God, forgive me for my sins, and I see my dependence upon God for that and my need for that, then I become a much more forgiving person. Oh, God, I need to forgive this because I need your forgiveness. And so why am I holding grudges against these, these friends of mine, these family members of mine, these strangers, my enemies? I, I forgive everyone because, God, I need forgiveness. And, and if, if you don't forgive me, I'm lost. So, God, would you help me to be a forgiving person, too? We get so messed up in this. We think that we're okay. And God says, no, you are dependent upon me every day for forgiveness. And then he says, we say, God, we are dependent upon you for protection from temptation. He says, lead us not into temptation. We're called to call on God and to rely on God to, to direct us and keep us from temptation. And one of the ways our hearts get messed up is we think we can handle everything. We think we got this figured out. I can step into these dark places. I can be exposed to all kinds of temptation and I will stand firm. This is a prayer of dependence and humility that says, God, please don't even put it in front of me. Would you deliver me from any temptation? What a wonderful prayer that is. 
if we would just stop every morning and pray that, I think it reorients us. And not only does God supernaturally keep us from temptation, but we're thinking that way. We're saying, I don't even want to go near temptation. If I step into that place of temptation, I will fall. God, keep me from temptation. I think the beauty of Matthew then is he says, and deliver us from evil. And God, if you do lead us into temptation, please deliver us, because he will. We can get prideful. You know, I, I think about Jesus as he is led into the desert to be tempted. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted. But Jesus can overcome it. Let's not assume that we can walk into the wilderness and overcome that temptation. We need to pray, God, please just keep me from temptation. I am dependent upon you for protection from temptation. So there's one address of relationship. God is our Father. That's how we approach Him, as a loving, heavenly Father. And then these these two statements of submission that we submit. We say, God, I, I get so caught up in myself and what I think is most important, but your name and your kingdom, those are the most important things in the world. I just want to remember that, God. Change my heart. Reorient me. Line me up to see that that's what your heart is and that's what I want my heart to be. And God, I get so independent, but I am dependent. So we have these these declarations of dependence. God, I need you for every physical need, every moment of every day. I need you for my deepest spiritual need of forgiveness of sins, every moment of every day. And Lord, if you don't protect me from temptation, I will surely fail. So please keep me from temptation. I I think if we pray like this... It's going to change how we approach our day. It's going to change the way that we, that we think about, about life. And it's got to be constant. You know, you don't go to the chiropractor once and that's it. You're set for life, lined up. Because you get jostled around and things get twisted up and you got to keep going back. That's why some people don't believe in it. It's just a gamut. They keep you coming back, you know. But the point, though, is that, that with prayer, it's, it's not something where we just pray this once and, hey, we're good. We're all lined up, ready to go. Because I, I don't know about you, but every day I get twisted and messed up and my heart gets thrown out of alignment. And I just need to pause, not, not just once a day, but on a daily basis and say, okay, oh, I'm so messed up in this moment, but I have, I have a Father, okay? I, I'm, I have a Heavenly Father. I just want to remember that. Father, you, you hear me, you, you love me, you care for me. And, and I'm so concerned about all these things that surround me. But if everything, if the bottom drops out and everything fails, Lord, but your name is glorified and your, your kingdom is coming, okay, that's good because that's, that's the most important thing in this world. And Lord, I, I, I'm so independent right now, but let me remember how dependent I am upon you. And you are a loving Father. You meet my deepest physical needs and my deepest spiritual needs and protect me in all these different ways. We reorient our hearts around the heart of our Father. Let's pray this way. Not, not, a, not as just rote repetition mindlessly, but that we would meditate on who our Father is, submit to Him, and daily depend upon Him.